Uh, but Nathan's going to speak uh, about ministering uh, downtown at the soup kitchen and to, to those who are destitute. Uh, but let me just pray. I don't want to put words in his mouth or steal from his thunder. Actually, I want to just read Colossians 4 uh, quickly. Um, and then I'll pray and then we'll have you come up. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just want to thank you that we can gather on this Lord's Day. Thank you for safety on the roads. Father, we would just ask now that as our brother comes up and, and speaks, uh, Lord, from his heart and even from the experience he's been able to have in ministering to many, Lord, who are often overlooked, even by the church, unfortunately. I pray, Lord, that you would just guide him, but also, Lord, our ears as well. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would increase, Lord, our love and our burden for the lost, irrespective of their socioeconomic status, uh, irrespective of their ethnicity, uh, irrespective uh, of anything. As we're even learning in uh, Colossians, that, that the gospel is for all, and all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so, Lord, we just pray, uh, bless this morning, and teach us, Lord, uh, from your word and even from your servant, Nathan, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Thank you for allowing me to be here. Uh, Bill had sent me a message just concerning him not being able to be here. He was double, double booked, so it's kind of why he handed over the reins to me. So I'll just start on a, a message he sent me. Um, we've known Bill for quite some time now. So Nathan and Judy are excellent representatives as they have been vital part of our volunteer crew for quite some time and have also participated in the fellowship that has been held inside and outside our building for several years. As an organization, we have grown substantially over the course of the past five years, since our inception in early October 1984 until 2018. We serve one light lunch, mostly soup, Monday to Saturday. In recent years, we have started providing three meals a day, seven days a week, except only brunch on Sundays, rather than breakfast and lunch. We are serving upwards of 10,000 meals a month, we are blessed to have the assistance of over 700 volunteers and the support of many local businesses and financial supporters. We pride ourselves in not accessing any government funding as we feel strongly that feeding the hungry, hungry is the responsibility of the believers in the church. Our goal has always been to restore and enhance the dignity of people and we do that to the best of our ability day to day. We covet your prayers and financial support as we do our best to provide for the, for the food needs of the poor and homeless in our community. Thank you so much for giving your time to come and volunteer at the Soup Kitchen. It's greatly appreciated by all. I was hoping today to be able to speak from personal experience, 
through the means of stories and highlights that I found to be a blessing over the past couple years, and how you too can be a part of this. Judy and I also have a blog post on the missions board, so if you just go that way over there, um, you can have an idea what, what it's like to be a part of missions on the streets. I believe at this moment, my mission here is to help you understand the importance of serving your community outside the church and in. I believe that to be a follower of Christ, you should imitate, imitate Christ as best you can. Therefore, I will talk about an adventure we had in street evangelism, as it ties nicely in with what we do at the soup kitchen. I also just wanted to mention in no way, and I, am I assuming any of you are not actively serving or in your own communities? Is my understanding the Holy Spirit will convict you either way, and I am merely a vessel to inform you if it happens so or not. The Lethbridge Soup Kitchen is a very practical and holistic way to serve and create relationships with the homeless. So that's why I would call it a stepping stone with the poor and destitute. And street evangelism is the next step. Let me maybe take you on the streets with me today to give you an idea of what we see and deal with, to show you practically what it actually looks like without disclosing any names. I wanted to go back about a year and a half ago to my good friend, F. Since the homeless community is very transient, I won't ever assume no one is no longer with us, but the implications, if you haven't seen anyone in a while, is that they're either gone or they're imprisoned. I remember the first day I met him. It was a busy night near the shelter at the entrance gate just off the street. I found myself face to face with him, very close, and he was very intoxicated. That specific day, I felt a little more courageous than usual, not sure why, so I stood my ground as he threatened me. By the grace of God and only by the Spirit, I was able to keep my demeanor calm and collected enough to ask him how he was doing, and I, if I could pray for him in any way. I ended up moving along as I felt my presence was no longer welcome. And so I walked on towards the soup kitchen. As someone who considers an introvert, I usually feel lost in large crowds, but this particular day was seemingly slightly different. As I moved along in conversation, I talked to several individuals and groups, but I noticed F was still following me. This time was different, though. He was asking me to pray for him, which I get gladly obliged. At this point, I was pleasantly surprised. The man who was, who was 30 minutes earlier yelling and in my face was at that moment asking me for prayer and, that, and requesting me that I made him a bowl of fried rice, which was, yeah. Fast forward to a few weeks after I enjoyed several conversations at a picnic table with him, mostly me playing him music off my phone. One night, I remember him laying so still in the middle of the gardens, passed out from drinking. It, it, it was just me and Judy that night. It deeply saddened my heart, and so Judy and I ended up walking him to the shelter, with him being intoxicated to the point that he couldn't walk very well. To this day, I pray for him, and I have not seen him since, but I will never forget that time we, we talked and laughed. He jokingly would threaten me, and then turn around and say, if ever anyone hurts this Asian guy, I'll beat him up. Sadly, after all that time spent with him and seeing him at the kitchen, I haven't seen him since. And like I said before, I believe the soup kitchen is a stepping stone to being more involved in the community. 
A night at the kitchen includes not only preparing and serving a meal with the team, but can also include interacting with the homeless. It might be a simple smile or hello, but could also include a conversation. On slower nights, we have had the chance to have conversations where we, we can share the gospel. It really is a great time to build in community. Serving with brothers and sisters really adds another element to our relationships and has helped when I talk to people like that. I will not tell you I've seen many turn to Christ because the reality is, is that people in Lethbridge desperately hate God. They want nothing to do with him. And because of this sad reality, we are left with the homeless population starving for truth but rejecting the one true God. Because of generational sins of people before them, they go to their own gods and drugs and alcohol. Like in Kings, where you have generations consistently rejecting God, only to endure God's wrath. I want to encourage you, even in the midst of your own business and life, to act on what you see before you. To not ignore the homeless or the unbeliever in front of you. To just say hi. I was extremely encouraged when I heard Charles and Caitlin's story of, of helping that man off the street. I find personally, when I tell people that I help homeless, it makes an easy segue into a conversation about the gospel because they wonder what I do. Let me end with one of my favorite verses and then we'll turn to questions. Matthew 5, 13, 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Thank you very much. I'll turn it over to questions now, if anyone has any questions, and maybe how you can potentially serve. Um, I obviously don't have as much information as Bill does, but I'll do my very best. Normally by asking them how their day has been, and then maybe asking their name. I find that uh, knowing their name is extremely good step for building relationship with them. And then it's a segue into other questions that could potentially build relationship and then eventually could lead into gospel conversation. So. Now is a person, you know, or 
are driving near looking and saying, oh, did we be disturbed them? Do we know, know them? Right? How we yeah. see them? So it's really, it opens your eyes in a different way mm-hmm. to actually be there. So I found it, it might have been more of a blessing even for us than yeah. for them to have been there. Yeah, I guess I, I, I didn't mention that because I think one of the biggest things for me is when I started doing this three years ago, I, it was, I felt that it was more of a blessing to me and sanctifying for me than it was for anyone around me, really. Like, this, this is, like, kind of the foundation of where I first started being a believer was, was coming out and actually physically sharing the gospel with people and it's it's such a blessing truly it is yeah thank you how much needed there for more volunteers uh to be honest the volunteers like there's always going to be people volunteering there's actually always going to be food and it's always good to volunteer um the real need I feel in our city is, is just being able to talk with a homeless person. Like, that, that's kind of why I was saying, like, the soup kitchen is a stepping stone, and it gets you interacting with a homeless person, but the real, real big need is, is interacting with them on a daily basis. Um, when you're not at the kitchen, maybe when you're in the mall or just on the streets walking by, you know? Uh, they need to know that they're a person and that they're loved and, and that God loves them, especially. So, so to show uh, outwardly gospel actions is, is what they truly need. They, don't, they, don't, they can't be ignored every other day of the week. So, yeah. If someone wanted to come out you know, with you and Judy, what, what does that look like? Is it- is it a safe place for, like, a teenager, or what would you say, generally, what, what you would advise? I think a teenager is pushing it. Um, I would say young adult is probably the best starting age. Um, definitely not kids. Uh, it, it can be fairly sketchy. I've been, Judy's been pushed, even when, you know, like, at certain times, it can get a little bit sketchy. So I would say young adult stage, um, yeah, and it's not, it's not saying that it's dangerous every night. Like, very rarely do we get anything happening, but it's just a safety precaution. So you'd, would you say that the soup kitchen is safe for a family to serve and a grace group, but as far as, like, going out on a Friday night, yeah. maybe just a little bit older? Okay. Yeah, it's, it's dark. It's, it's easy for someone to just get, you know, jumped or something. So the soup kitchen is safe for all ages. Um, it's, it's light in there, you're around a bunch of people, uh, it's generally, there's security there, so I would say all ages for the soup kitchen, but uh, as for coming out with us, I would, I would try to keep it at the young adult stage, for sure. Could you explain how, um, let's say a group of six people decided to sign up and serve on a night, could you explain like from start to finish what that looks like, what some of the things that they would do, and... Yeah, so generally around 4 o'clock is when they start making a meal, so that's when they're prepping, depending on what the meal is, like sometimes they'll just throw it in the oven, but uh, there's 4 to 5 is usually prep, and then 5 to 6 is setting up the tables, Um, that's getting all the drinks set up, and and the cutlery, and making sure everything is is, uh, 
you know, set up in the kitchen for preparing meals. Um, and then they plate food just before 6, and then they start serving it around 6. Um, from 6 to 6.45, that's when they uh, feed. And then uh, quarter to 7 is, is generally when they start kicking people out, and then they'll start cleaning up. Uh, the end of the soup kitchen, I would say, is around 7.20, around that time. So it's, it's three and a bit hours of your time. So it's really not that much if you consider, uh, you know, once, once a month or once twice a month, you know. So. so would you be serving with, like, other groups like that mm. night? Or, like, what's the kind of the minimum that you... Uh, yeah, so you could probably, like, most nights have, like, a lot of churches and people groups, like, a lot of Mormons serve there. Um, they usually have days booked every month that they do. Uh, I mean, you won't ever know until you, like, know their schedule, but, uh, I would say it's very easy to just, eight people is probably minimum that you need for a group. Uh, depending on how many kids there are and how useful you are, I guess. Would um, they sort of schedule that? Like, say you only had four, would they kind of... How, how do you sign up, I guess? As an yeah, you just go on the site. Like, you can sign up on the site, or if you know the people directly, you can just contact them. But Lethbridge Soup Kitchen dot C A, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, to read the sign up. Yeah. says how many spots actually are available to that to fill. Yeah, I've, uh, personally, I've never had to sign up there because I just directly contact the people. So, but yeah, you can just go on the site and it should be fairly easy to find the slot. I think, can I add to that? Yeah. Um, if you are doing a group, it's better they provide you with a number because when it says slot, they're assuming it's one person. So let's say you, your whole family is coming and you have a family of like eight people. So, just after COVID kind of started, they used to do, I, I think it was before too, they used to have a song playing, that like, like a band come up, and they would just have a band, a small band playing while they ate their meal. And I, I don't really, like when I was there and they were there, usually they would start a fuss, and so maybe that's why they stopped doing it. But I... I see no reason why Bill wouldn't allow something like that. I think he would be perfectly fine. If we had extra people, we could do a little choir or whatnot, maybe sing some songs. Uh, they love music, so uh, they, I'm sure they would love it. Yeah. I think I think with the homeless community because 
because there's a lot of drug and addiction, usually death is a huge, huge thing that you have to talk about. And in those moments, because they're so raw, usually we just pray for them. Um, yeah, that's a that's that's a good question. Um, I have to think about that one a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Um, yeah. David, yeah. how would you know off the top of your head how many homeless people die? Do, do people die on our streets in Lethbridge? They, are, they, are they found dead behind a dumpster somewhere? Does is that a common occurrence? Or, hmm. I'm just curious. It's something I've wondered about. Or do they mostly make it to a shelter or, or get called into an ambulance in time? Yeah, most most people that are homeless that die, they they don't record, like they don't say anything about it. They just kind of die in the dark. Um, we've had a few people overdose over the years, um, and it's usually people that are more well known. As to say, like for me, like I haven't heard from Franklin for like a year, probably, and so I just I just assume he's passed away. And there's a lot of people I've seen last year that I haven't seen this year. So, I, and honestly, with the lifestyle that they have, like, I would assume that there's dozens of people dying a month. Like, I, I, I would never directly say any number, but I'm, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of people that are dying that I just don't, I don't see anymore. Like, I, I don't know, they could be in housing or, you know, like, they just kind of disappear off the map. Like I said, it's a very transient community, and if I know a person for about, like, a year, that's, like, a huge deal for us, right? So, yeah, I, I wouldn't be able to give you a, a, a specific number, so. no real like easy way of helping them like we don't really have a good shelter here most of the years like alpha house has not been like they essentially they're just people that carry around narcan and and get people out of overdoses that's essentially what they've been doing for the past whatever um basically like you know like like just making sure that they're not dying but they are dying like and, and so I, in my mind, like, we, we need a proper means of bringing churches together to be able to, like, this is the church's job, to be able to care for the homeless in our community. And we have, 
a lot of churches and we have a lot of means to be able to do so, um, like the mustard seed, which tried coming in here a little bit. But we just have no way of, of rehabilitating them properly and, and teaching them normal, um, uh, normal things, like cooking or, or uh, you know, taking care of a family, for instance. That's huge. Um, most of them have families, and they're on the streets while their families are in the, on the reserve somewhere. Um, so it's, it's teaching them basic, basic things like, like cooking for themselves, paying their own bills, you know, doing all these things. And then it's, it's keeping them away from their community that, that has peer pressured them into doing drugs and alcohol. Um, because right now, the, the mobile unit for safe consumption is sitting right in front of the shelter. So that's why you see all these people grouping in one area because they want to take their drugs, but they also like need a place to stay. So they're doing drugs and then they're staying in the shelter. And then that's, that's their whole life, essentially. Like they'll walk around the city maybe, but then they always come back to the same area. So I, I've honestly struggled with that question a lot, like being like, how can we best help these, like the homeless? But I think right now, the only thing I can say is just pray for them and, you know, become more involved. Just, just say hi to them once in a while, you know. I, I think that's really huge, making them feel like a person. Because, I don't know, we've been going out for three or four years now. And seeing the gradual change between at the beginning when they were very aggressive and to now, like some people are actually... You know, they know us, they know us by name, um, and they encourage good conversation. They want us to be there, and they like talking to us. So it's, it's a slow, gradual process, but I, I feel like we've, we've come a long way since then. So. Out of 10 people that you talk to, how many would you say are, are desperately do not want to be in that situation? Because sometimes I think when we see it, when we see someone that's intoxicated or high, we kind of think like, you know, they're making this poor decision or they're choosing this. And in a sense, they are, but but at least from my experience, I, I would say there's quite a number that are desperately like, I, I don't want to be here. Like, I'm, I'm stuck. Hmm. Whereas, you know, you said some of the, some of the more aggressive ones, okay, well, and they're, but like, how... Is there more that are like, when, once you talk to them, you realize that they don't want any of this? Yeah, yeah I, would, I would say most of the people don't want to be there where they are. Um, but because it's become almost like a culture to them to, to not take care of things in a certain way and to, to actually, like, this is like part of their life is drugs and alcohol. Like, it's not something that they really get away from because it's part of their community. And so when you do it at when you do it to kids that are such at such an early age, it kind of they can't really get away from it. You know, FASD. You know, like a lot of the kids by the age of nine, they they will have experienced alcoholism or drug drug addiction. So so to be able to impact kids at an early age is really huge. But to also realize that yeah, like I would I would say maybe. To answer your question, I would say maybe six out of ten people 
probably don't want to be where they are. Um, they tell us that. Um, so, uh, yeah, I would say about just over half. Yeah. And then I might inject me a little bit because when you talk about the safe consumption site, my, my temperature went up a little bit. And, and I want to ask you, you've been there, are we just enabling them to carry on their lifestyle? Is it something that is healthy? Is it something that we should actually come against and say, no, we have other ways to help, but we're not going to allow safe consumption sites and dirty needles all over the street? Yeah, see, I, I struggle with that too. Um, I'm like, why would you give them an ability to use drugs? Uh, but the thing is, is like they're going to use it either way. So it's either going to be at the safe consumption site where we can track them and we can monitor them, or it could be, I don't know, halfway across Lethbridge where we can't find them and they're probably, you know, on the ground dead. So I, I, I understand the frustration for sure. Um, I think there is like a middle ground there somewhere, being, being like this is probably not a good thing, but I think we're enabling them by, you know, like they get, they receive money from the government, they have all these things, and then they just use it for, to, to, um, for their addiction and for, for uh, you know, their alcohol addiction and stuff. So I, I would say it's a, uh, it's a fine ground there. I personally, I would, I would rather it not be there, but I'm also not going to fight against it personally. Would you agree with this statement that we know that everyone needs Christ and everyone needs the gospel? We understand that. But would you say that in Lethbridge? People don't need food, they need relationships. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. We, Lethbridge has more food than anyone could ever imagine. Like, the soup kitchen serves three meals a day, and then you have Streets Alive who also serves three meals, you have Sage Clan, you have all these food banks. Like, we have no shortage of food. I don't even think we have shortage of clothes. Like, I use... Like two years ago, I used to give out socks and stuff on the streets, and they would just, I would just find them on the ground. So honestly, they need, like, they don't need food. They, they need relationships with people. That's, that's exactly right. I would agree with that. Or, or at least I would say uh, good people. People that won't get them back into their addictions. Um... Would it be, so what, let's say someone has a real radical moment and they're like, maybe they, maybe, maybe you built a relationship with someone for a bit and you're, you're almost wondering if you're seeing some progress. What comes to mind, what, what would be kind of your cautions if somewhere, someone were to get to the point where like, maybe I could help rebuild it rehabilitate this person in my own home. Of course, there would be many mm -hmm. factors, right? You have to consider the safety of your family. Yeah. There would be all kinds of things, but you're... Like, is that a crazy, is that a crazy thought? Uh, with that? Because I'm sure there's times when you just feel like, oh, yeah, man, for like, sure. this soup kitchen isn't enough. Like, this isn't working, and maybe there's hope for this individual if, if, I, if we as a family really put in some intense sacrifices. 
Yes. I I would be very cautious. Like I mean, you. I lost my phone on Friday because someone took it. And I'm I'm not saying that everyone will do that, but I'm saying that they're not they're not trustworthy in that way. They're trustworthy to have a conversation, but I would be very cautious on who you let in your house. Um, it really really depends on who they are. Like if you've known them for a while, um, and you know that they're I don't know a half decent person, then potentially. But I I. I don't know. There's there's a lot of ways that you can support them without taking them into your own home, um, like your time. Time is pretty important, I would say. Yes. My brother has personally experienced it. Like he's had, he has done a lot of prison ministry mm -hmm. and then helping the homeless and giving the gospel. And he thought. He is that thought Matthew Rosa ends? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And he uh, and he uh, meant well to take one or more of them to help them out. And one of them actually ended up like uh, stealing cash in his house. And uh, also his land ended up quite a, quite a ways north. Um, I think it happened twice. I don't know what. One time they crashed something. So it is. It is to be careful. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I I totally agree. I would. They're they're like you still have to value them as as people, but um, they certainly they need to be taught differently. Um, that's all they've grown up with, right? Like they're they're okay with stealing stuff. Um, they've grown up around different a different situation than I I'd say most of us have. So. Uh, I would be very cautious, for sure, yeah. Would it be safe to say that the, the, their conscience is just so completely seared mm -hmm. to certain ways of life, certain uh, what we might think are obvious uh, ethical standards in society? Yeah. They're just in a different world? Yeah, they were never, like, like I would say a lot of them just don't really have proper parental figures, so it just doesn't, it doesn't compute with them the same way that it would. Uh, I, I I would hope most of us have had good parents, so um, it's just something that hasn't really been instilled in them is is moral ethical values. So. Yeah. Hello. Uh, my friend shared a story with me a few years ago, and it, it's just really stuck with me. She had a foster. They her family they had a, um, a child, a young child who was with them for a really short time, and she really struggled, and then it was taken, the child was taken, it was really awful, and she really struggled with that for years, and then as an adult, she met that person again, and I can't remember if it was a boy or a girl, but I think it was a girl. She said that that was the only time in her life that she felt safe and happy, and she's come to that. Hmm. Um, hope, and so I think hope is so valuable. We can't ever lose that. Like, oh, yeah. It might seem meaningless and small, but hope is very strong. Yeah, like you just think about what what they have to look forward to, right? There is no hope but for their lives. Cling to that small time. Yeah, that's that's pretty amazing. It's spectacular. I think we're past the point of questions. So unless anyone has any questions, uh, probably. Yeah. Uh, just the kind of general sense that you get as to what knowledge do they have of, because if they 
come up with a reserve that's probably no Christian back on that all, right? Like, is there any sense of um, there's a God? Do they have any general knowledge? Also, are they um, they're very mixed between Catholicism and and their own um, their own beliefs as well. They have like their own spiritual beliefs in nature and stuff. So it kind of like a Gnosticism, I guess. Uh, but they're very mixed, and so they they believe in a God. They believe in a upper being, but they don't really know. They don't exactly know who it is, and also there's the hurt that comes in between it. So it's like they're 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 confused, but they're starving for truth. Um, but they just they don't want to hear the truth that we have, like the gospel. They don't want to hear it um, because they just they kind of link that to what they they've heard as a kid or something. Um, they haven't seen. They haven't seen people display Christ in their lives. Is I guess the huge part. So. Thanks, Nathan. Well, um, I think that gives us all something to think about. <clears throat> I know every day when we drive around town, we see people out on the street, and I think. Naturally, we just kind of keep going. I know that's, that's what I do. Um, but maybe this gives us a little bit of pause to think. And I'm grateful that our youth is getting a little bit involved. And I know just for Caitlin and I, uh, just from the little incident we had <clears throat> last Sunday, it, it kind of spurred us. So I'm just going to pray that the Lord keeps working in our hearts. And um, maybe... Maybe he will help us understand uh, what, what we can do. We have a very powerful message. We have the most powerful message. And it is, not, it is not restrained by addiction or uh, even c- complete inebriation at that point. Although, you know, maybe sometimes it would seem so. But the, gos- the gospel can break through. So let's pray to that end. And then you're dismissed. God and Father, we thank you for... We thank you for your grace, and uh, something that we, we recognize is that any one of us could be on the street right now if it was not for your, your kind mercy. So many of us uh, were born into a good home, many into a Christian home, and we were, taught, we were taught godliness from a young age. Some of us were saved later in life, and we were going down a road to a very bad place. And here this morning, we consider those who are, who are in about the worst place possible in society. And um, we don't need to lose heart, because we do have a powerful gospel. We have a powerful Savior. Uh, but Lord, we ask that you would, um, you would give us wisdom, uh, that you would put into our hearts a desire to reach out to these people. You would give us patience with them. Uh, and that you would even, uh, through the many who have gone before, who have done so much street ministry, give us wisdom as to how uh, Grace Community Church might be more involved uh, with the tremendous need that we see in our city. God, um, yeah, don't, don't pass over these people. Consider them, Lord, and, and save them. And use us. 
In Jesus' name, amen.